0: My family and I, we, we enjoy nature documentaries. I've shared this with you guys a number of times. But one that we've gotten into in recent months was one called Monster Fish. Monster Fish is a guy who goes throughout the world looking for that big catch, that rare fish. And what's so fun about it is you understand fishing. You understand the, the, the tact and skill that's needed in the art of catching these, these monsters, these beautiful, enormous, and rare fish. And this guy in Monster Fish, he realizes he have to have the right bait to catch a fish. You've got to have the right, the right rod. You've got to be at the right place at the right time, at the right time of the year. Some fish are more prominent during the days and others in evenings. Some during spawning, some during low tide, high tide. It just all depends. And as you watch this show, you, you, you hear him talking about the fish he's trying to catch. And you get excited about it, like, man, I want to see this thing. I want to see how big it is. I want to see its teeth. And there'll be times in certain episodes where he's out in a boat in the like Amazon, you know, rainforest there in the river. And he's, he's got this, this large monster fish on his, on his line. He's trying to reel it in. And you see this thing bending and he's, he's trying to be real careful. But every so often as he's giving it a pull, just trying to reel it in, the line will break. And he is just so defeated, he's like, that was it, that was the one we were looking for. And he's just dejected. He's like, everything lined up perfectly, but at the end, it just didn't work out. You know, when I look at that man and his experience, I can't help but think that many of us feel that way about life. We think that we have put everything in order for it to line up perfectly, Maybe you went to the school of your choice. Maybe you grinded it out at work and you got that promotion. Maybe you were the first homeowner in your family history. Maybe you did things right trying to honor God with your life and your singleness. Maybe you have uh, used your money wisely, whatever it is, but perhaps at the end of the day you have felt like it didn't pan out the way you anticipated it would. Some of you are here today because you're searching out what to do with life because you thought, man, everything aligned, but my, my, my line is empty here. I cast all these, these lures into the ocean of life and they keep coming back empty. And what happens for a lot of us in those moments, we become so dejected that we begin to actually lose focus in life and actually lack purpose in life. We, we feel like we're, we're wandering because what we thought would work did not work. And so now you're left saying, well, what's next? What do I do when what I tried did not pan out? Last week we talked about the fact that because Jesus is alive, he can take a life that's lived in vain to putting life in our veins. And that life in our veins actually is purpose, it's meaning, and it's significance. But what happens is we lose sight sometimes of that when we take our eyes off of the one for whom we're supposed to live. And that's God himself. You see, we were made to magnify him. That's what we were created for. The Westminster Confession of of Faith says, it says, what is the chief end of man? What's the purpose of our lives? It says, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the purpose for your life. But what happens is, a lot of us feel empty because we've lost sight of that purpose and we start living our lives for other goals and toward other ends. Today, I want us to get God word in our focus. I want us to get God word in our focus so we can get onward in our purpose. I want us to be able to, in other words, see God for who he is and then find our identity and purpose in life in light of our eyes being on God. Because when that happens, as you live your life, when things don't work out the way you planned, you are not without purpose still. You still have the purpose because even in your letdowns, even in your disappointments, you can actually bring God glory. Because you were made to magnify. You are made to magnify when things are good. You were made to magnify when things don't pan out. Because your purpose in life is contingent on who God is and not what takes place in your life. And so we want to get, on, get God word before we can move onward. And some of y'all need to back up a little bit. Because you've been trying to make moves in life, but you're making the wrong moves, and those wrong moves will lead to disappointment. So let's take a step back, and let's make the right moves. And the first move we make is Godward. Setting our eyes on God. You feel desperate. You feel like you're just floating about. Chances are we've got our eyes off of Jesus. And you know, as we read our Bibles, the fascinating thing is that this is one of the most central themes of the Bible. It's not just interwoven throughout, although it is, but it is billboarded throughout. You ever been on that road trip and you've got like billboards every 200 feet and you're like, how am I going to keep my eyes on the road when I got all these billboards trying to take my attention? Well, in like manner, the Bible has the glory of God billboarded on every page. Like a child, it's taking your face and saying, hey, look at me when I'm talking, please. I want your full attention. God is like, look, I want you to understand. Here, let me me get your face. I want you to get Godward in your focus because my glory is on display in every page. And when you get Godward, you can get onward. Glory in scripture is everywhere. Moses says, God, show me your glory. In Psalm 29, the psalmist says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but what? To your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Habakkuk says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yeah. Even in Luke, at the arrival of Jesus, says, glory to God in the highest. Romans 11 says, to God be glory forever and ever. Amen. And in Jude 24, Jude says, now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory yeah. with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be all glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, both now and forever. Amen. The glory of God is a billboard. It is grabbing your face and saying, let this be where your purpose in life is directed. Today, we're going to take a look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 through 7, in order to see... The fact that God is deserving of all glory, and he is worthy of us living for his glory. Isaiah chapter 43. Would you meet me there, please, and stand to your feet when you get there? Isaiah is about middle part of your Bible as it is here in mine. And we're going to be on Isaiah chapter 43. This passage has become one of my favorites, as it's become one of our family's favorites over the past three years. Isaiah the prophet says this, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Siba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone, he say everyone? everyone? Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created... For my glory, whom I formed and made. This is God's word. You may take a seat, church. Before we talk about the fact that we are made to magnify God's glory, let me establish first that God is alone deserving of glory and is glorious. God alone is deserving of glory and praise. This word glory is a fascinating word, the one we see there in verse 7. We also see it in 42, verse 8. The word glory comes from a Hebrew word, kabod. Can you say kabod? Kabod is a Hebrew word that means weighty or heavy. It is literally used to measure the weights of certain items. One such thing was Absalom, King David's son, Absalom's hair was weighed. And that dude had some locks. It's also speak of individuals. It, it is to speak of the weight of things or people, heaviness. But that word weighty or heavy, kabod, is also used then figurative, figuratively to speak of things that are heavy in their circumstances. Things that are of magnitude. That, this is a weighty thing. We speak of weighty moments. So that was a heavy conversation. And as that word is used literally and figuratively, it has become to be used of God's character and who he is. But it's not a far leap. Because God himself is weighty in his character. He he is of magnitude in his person. He is heavy in his being. And this is why when God's glory shines, people respond. It demands respect. It demands honor. God is glorious, and he alone is glorious and weighty and heavy like that. He has kabod. In Isaiah 42, verse 8, a few verses before what I just read, God says this, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. From my pra- nor my praise to carved idols. So God is like, I'm the only one who is glorious and I don't share that. There aren't others who have equal claim to that title. I alone possess the weightiness of majesty. That's who I am, God says. And specifically, he's like, and so... Don't go after carved idols because they don't have glory. I don't give a peace of mind to them. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah's got a thing with like, mocking idols. In fact, Isaiah's favorite word or favorite description of God is the Holy One of Israel. He uses that term more than anyone else. Because he has this sense of God's glory and his holiness. The fact that our God is unlike anyone or anything else. And so when he looks at other things that people worship, he's like, are you kidding me? Isaiah 44, let me read this for you. Verses 14 to 17. Let me me tell you what Isaiah has to say about other, uh, other idols. He talks about the person who carves a wooden idol. He says, This person cuts down cedars, as trees, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Notice, a tree needs something else to nourish it. Come on. Come on. Then it becomes fuel for man. Some cut down a tree and they burn it. He takes part of it, though, the, war- the wood, and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, and he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and satisfies it. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And with the rest of it, he makes into a god. And falls down to it and worships it. And asks it to deliver him. What Isaiah is saying is like, look. When we carve out idols, like literally wooden statues... First of all, the wood comes from a tree, and a tree doesn't grow without rain and sunlight. And so the origin of this idol actually finds its beginnings with something else. And then when you cut down a tree, you use some of the fire to burn wood. Another fire, other of the wood, you make an idol and worship it. Isaiah's like, does that make any sense to you? And what Isaiah is calling out is just the foolishness of worshiping something other than God. Now we might say, man, I I promise you I've never bowed down to a wooden statue. But that's the thing about idols. We don't just craft them with our hands, we also craft them in our minds. We craft them in our hearts. We work for them. We live to achieve them. Our lives revolve around them. So whether you cut it down with a tree, or you Wrote it with a check, it's an idol. See, an idol is what takes your attention. The primary focus of your affection and your devotion. Other world religions worship idols. Other, quote, faiths worship something other than the God of the Bible. The faith of Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and Mormonism and the Jehovah's Witness faith and New Age Spiritism and the list goes on. These are not the God of the Bible that are being worshipped through these faiths. It is not Yahweh, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit that is in focus. But it's not just things like that that we can be tempted to worship. But it also could be Things in our lives, like our careers, like your dreams, like your family or education or health or yourself or food. Someone once said that idols can be good things, turn into God things, which makes them a bad thing. So just because it's a good thing inherently doesn't mean you can't make it into an idol. I can make my children into an idol. I can make my calling as a pastor into an idol. How about this? I can make you into my idol. Because if it's my fear to lose you, then I'm no longer fearing God. If it's my fear to, to just always bubble wrap my children, then I'm not going to ha- hold them open-handed to God. If my identity is bound up to being a pastor, then I'll never retire. I want to retire church one day, not from, not from, not from serving God, but. but, notice when our identity is bound up in other things and when we live for other things, those things become the focal point of our lives, and so no, you may not have cut it down with the tree, but you forged it in your mind, you've devoted your heart to it, and God's like, I don't share my glory with those things. I share my glory with none other, and we can say amen because there is none like our God. Well, that's all context for my text for today. I'll be quick, trust me. So God's people are here in the book of Isaiah, and they've turned away from this glorious God. It says in Isaiah 42, verses 18 and 20, that they become spiritually deaf, spiritually blind, and spiritually dull. They have turned their backs on God and pursued other things which have become idols in their lives. And God hands them over to their desires, and they become miserable. See, they were living for a purpose other than the God of eternity, and their their real was coming up empty. And God's like, I'm letting it come up empty because I need you to understand you're fishing for the wrong things. But what happens when God hands us over to our desires is something we need to understand. And it's the fact that our God, that the God that we serve, the God that we declare here at the brook is also a God who's not just glorious in his personhood, but also gracious in his acts. Because in chapter 43, verse 1, in the midst of this this discipline that God does, he begins with two words in chapter 43, verse 1. What are those words? But now. It is a contrasting statement. Although God has handed you over, but now. God says, I'm not done. But now, thus says the Lord. That is an introduction of God making an authoritative statement. And what is the statement God's about to make? It says, thus says the Lord. That is the Lord Yahweh. It's in all capitals. He says this. Thus says the Lord. He who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. This Lord, this God Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God who revealed himself to Moses as the I am who I am, the self-existent one who needs nothing outside of him for existence. Nothing precedes him. He is not dependent on anything. His glory is not shared. He never lacks glory. This one is the one who says, but now I'm going to show you my grace. He says, I'm the one who created you, O Jacob, and formed you. God is preparing them for these words of grace and soon-to-be words of purpose in their lives, even in the midst of them drifting. He says, I'm the creator. I'm the one who made nature. I'm the one who created everything ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. Our God is the one who hung the stars. Floated the planets, poured the oceans, sculpted the mountains, and still holds it all together. But on top of that, he formed you, oh Jacob. He created you. God is the one who created his people, Israel. And by Psalm 139 application, he created you who is present here today and watching online. He is the creator God who has formed, He has sculpted us. And as the ones who are the objects that he has created, he says, therefore, fear not. Don't fear. This is why we get our gaze God word. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. God has redeemed us from our sin. He calls us by name because he knows us personally. And then he says this statement of belonging, you are mine. So this God who is glory and other actually becomes personal in our lives. And watch how he says this in verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He is the one who rescues us. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I just, I'm blown away by the tender words of affection our God speaks here. God says, I love you to his people. Even though they were foolish and rebelled, God's like, I love you. He tells them that he will be with them as they go through the waters and the rivers and the fires in verse 2. He's a God who is present. So he is glorious, he is other, but he is also with us. He says, so don't fear. He says it again in verse 5, fear not, for I'm with you. See, what's so beautiful about our God is in his greatness, he steps into our world. And then as we continue in this passage, he turns on these words of affection that pull us in and says, not only do I love you, not only do you belong to me, not only have I rescued you, but I've done so for a purpose. And this is what he says in verse 6. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. What God is saying is like this. He's telling the Jewish peoples, he says, there's going to come a time where I'm going to gather all my peoples to me. Because I want you then, he says in verse 7, to live for my glory. Glory. And not just the Jewish peoples, but he says everyone in verse 7 who is called by my name. This is your purpose in life. The God who is glorious is also the God who invites you into living for his glory. Now this is a fascinating statement because what does it mean to live for God's glory? Or what does it mean when the psalmist says, ascribe to the Lord glory? Glory. Or to your name, give glory? Like, like, does God need us to give him glory? Does, does he lack glory without our words? So the why, why, why should we give him glory? Did, did he lose some of it? What we need to understand is not that God is lacking, but he gives us actually the privilege to broadcast and magnify that glory so that people around us actually see that there is a God who is glorious. Every single one of us in this room right now are benefiting from oxygen. Even you streaming online, we are benefiting from oxygen. In fact, oxygen is a colorless and odorless and tasteless gas that is essential for all living organisms. Did you know that as we breathe out oxygen, it converts into carbon dioxide and plants in turn utilize that carbon dioxide as a source of carbon and return it back to oxygen. And all this is taking place around you. And did you know that approximately two-thirds of the mass of the human body is oxygen? Did you know that oxygen is the most abundant element in the earth's crust and the third most common element in the universe? And he said, no. He said, why are you telling me this? School starts tomorrow morning at 8.30. I'm telling you this because whether or not you know that that's what oxygen is doing, it is still there doing it. So your failure to understand doesn't minimize the power of the oxygen. I don't know if some of y'all follow me here today. It's just because we don't know what's going on doesn't mean nothing's going on. God is glorious. God is not dependent on us knowing that he's glorious. He is glorious whether or not you see it or know it or talk about it. But just like I gave you some education on oxygen, we have the privilege of giving some others some education about God's glory. That the people in our lives can see that our God is glorious through the lives that we lead and the words that we speak and the things that we do. So it's not that God is lacking glory. It's that he's giving you the privilege to broadcast his glory. He's giving you the honor to magnify His glory, to shout out His glory. He's given you this purpose in life. So whether or not all that you planned in life pans out the way you thought it would, you still have this purpose of living for and declaring God's glory. God says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So you can bring attention to him. Let people become distracted by what you say about God. Let let it consume their thoughts as you brag about his kindness and grace in your life. When you magnify his power. When you speak of his redemption. When you share of his personal touch. That's how we bring God. Glory. We bring God glory in the way we eat our food, thanking Him for that provision. We bring God glory by the things we see, saying, God, that is beautiful. I know you carved it. We bring God glory through the attitudes we keep when we're at work and our blood starts to boil. We can bring God glory in our witness online and offline, in public and in private. We can bring God glory, parents, in the way we teach our children to live. When we strive to be consistent, when we're in these, this building, as we are at home. And uh, y'all know, like, that's hard. But we can bring God glory when our children see that we fail and we can repent. We bring God glory in our friendships, family. When we look out for one another, not just wait for others to look out for me. We can bring God glory in all that we do. That's how we magnify. And you magnify when you fear God. I was talking with my sons about this last night, and this is so cool. They were asking me, like, it's crazy because God says here twice, right? Fear not. Verse, four, verse 1 and verse 5. Don't fear. But Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, like, what well, the Bible's telling me to fear God, and the Bible tells me, do not fear. And we know it's not a contradiction because God is like, look, it's not a matter of never fearing. It's of knowing what to fear and what not to fear. When we fear God, we honor him. We revere him. We know he is powerful. And therefore, in our lives, we glorify him. We were made to magnify the glory of God. This is possible because Jesus has defeated sin and death. You have a purpose in your life because of Jesus. I I really want that to sink in because I think sometimes we look at other people and say, I want what they have in terms of how life is amounting. And some of these desires aren't necessarily wrong, but don't be mistaken. You are not without purpose. You are not without meaning. You were made to magnify. But what's so dope about our God is that not only is he glorious, but he has chosen to make his glory visible. And he has done so through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus perfectly put God's glory on display. John 1.14 says that the word that Jesus, that God became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This Jesus is the eternal God, and we call you today to put your faith in him. He is the one who actually created and formed you. He is the one who holds the world together according to Hebrews 1. He is the one who calls us, and he knows your name. He is the one who not only said, I love you, but showed that I love you. Romans tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is the one who made the cross, in, which was an instrument of destruction, into a sign of love and forgiveness. He is the one who showed us the Father, who saves us from our sin and calls us to himself. And because of Jesus, you can go from having life lived in vain to having life. In your veins. We know that because God alone is deserving of glory. and We were made to magnify that glory when we surrender to Jesus, who is the visible representation of God's glory. If you come today and you've been fishing, and you want to catch that monster fish of success, of satisfaction, these dreams... But you strive to do so apart from living for God's glory and you're finding your lure coming up empty time and time again. I want you to know that what your heart longs for is not what your careers and your dreams can give you. What your heart longs for is a God-word focus that can give you an onward purpose. Church, I want us to understand that. And no matter what comes our way, that's what we were created for. Because Jesus lives, you can have purpose in your life. Let's pray, church. Almighty God, we want to live for this goal in life. We don't want to strive and pursue things that ultimately don't deliver. And it doesn't mean we don't strive for things, but we strive for them with you as the one that we want to give praise each step of the way. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be what drives us, that we were just eager to be obedient to you, to be faithful in our work, to be gracious and loving friends, to be your church because we want to magnify you. So use us, God, we pray Use us, oh Lord, to magnify the glory of your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up as we close in this final song. Father God, we come before you, Lord, just thanking you for reminding us that we all have a purpose in your economy, God. Empower us to live for that. God, empower us our eyes are set on you in everything we do. Lord, we need you. We know we do. We're so weak. We're so frail. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness when we fall. And I pray by your strength we'd stand back up. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we dismiss, I want to remind you uh, our real community mission field training started this week thursday um, world relief is going to be it virtually but make sure if you're part of that mission field to see pastor jeremy and angelica after service they've got a bag for you to, to prepare you for that for those gonna be doing slam we'll be right here on, on thursday look god is paving a way to, things are falling in place because we know he's going to do something and don't miss out don't say i wish i was a part of that be a part of it Join in God's work to magnify his glory here in this neighborhood and the people that we reach. Well, with that, I want to give you God's blessing as we dismiss. The Lord your God is with you, and he is mighty to save He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Go out in God's praise and with his hope and strength and magnify him, church. We'll see you all on Thursday.